How's everyone doing? Nice to see all of you. I just want to tell you how proud I am of you for being here. Uh, it would have taken a lot to get the motor started, the proverbial motor started this morning, and way to go getting that done. And uh, hope today is meaningful and significant and lasting for you. Uh, a couple of jokes I've been telling, and I just want you to know that at both of the other services, like people have been falling out of their chairs. These are so darn funny. And so um, I'm just going to serve these up to you and see how it goes with you. A kid uh, not very long ago asked his teacher, how come you never hear more about the 10th reindeer named Olive? And, and the teacher was like, oh, right, like all you were doing, you're like, Olive? I've never heard of the reindeer Olive. And so the teacher questions about Olive? Yeah, yeah, the kid says. You know, Olive, the other reindeer, used to laugh and call him names. Nobody fell out of their seat on that one. Let's try this one. At the conclusion of the recent World Chess Championship, some of the spectators of the event were lingering in the lobby of their hotel bragging about how they could have beat the victor. There was one guy who was saying, I could have beat the guy who won without any sweat. Oh yeah, this other guy shot back. I could beat both of them playing at the same time. That's nothing, another offered. I could beat both of them while blindfolded. And this kind of banter went on for some time in the lobby of the hotel until finally the hotel manager, he had just had enough and he threw them all out of the lobby. He just threw them all out of the hotel. Get out of my hotel. And there was a bystander who was uh, standing by, as bystanders do, and he cautiously asked the hotel manager, why in the world did you do such a thing? The manager quipped back, because I hate chestnuts boasting by an open foyer. Those are, those are just kind of little funnies or not so funnies that you just kind of go like, <laughs> uh, Hopkins, wow. You can repeat them, like use those. I invite you in your holiday goings and comings, just use those, brighten folks' days. Uh, on to more meaningful things. We're in a message series around here that we call Advent Redux, a Christmas tradition made new. And it's our aim throughout this series that is three weeks long and will sort of culminate at Christmas Eve. It's our aim to bring back and actually make new this centuries-old tradition of the Advent wreath toward a more meaningful Christmas for all of us. And lots of you I know have been taking up the Advent conspiracy deal. Just want to say way to go. Maybe some of you have uh, imported an Advent wreath into your home and you've been doing something as a family together. Way to go. That's fantastic. If you remember, two weeks ago we started this series by lighting the good news candle. And last weekend we lit the hope candle. Today we're going to talk about both joy and love and light both of those candles. Now, don't tell the Pope, if you would, but we cheated on this Advent deal, right? Like if we were really up to snuff, we would have started it on Thanksgiving weekend and actually gone four weekends, but you see what we're doing today. We're sneaking in two candles, so hope that's all right. Uh, Peter was here Thanksgiving weekend, and so we had, remember Peter, our friend from England, you know, bow tie and suit coat up here, right, Peter? Yeah, we had to hear from Peter, so that's why, you know, Advent not quite on schedule, but I think the Pope might be gracious to us. You agree? Yeah. We should light these candles, and so I'm going to ask the Brenners to come on down, if you would. And uh, the beautiful Brenner family is going to light the joy and love candles. The striker is right there. Yeah. Thanks. A whole bunch. 
beautiful people, all of you. Yep, got her. Good job. Way to go. Those are way, way, way tall. Give these guys a hand, would you? The Brenners. Thanks. A whole bunch. Nice going. Thank you. Good work. carpet doesn't catch on fire. Now, lots of people have been asking, what's the deal with the, with the pink candle? Why is there a pink candle? The other three, that's not maroon, by the way, that's purple, right? Not maroon, that, those are purple candles. Uh, here's the history to that. Uh, back in the earliest days of the church, there was only one season on the whole church calendar, and it was the season of Lent, right? In the seven weeks prior to Easter, And Lent was a season of fasting and prayer as the church readied and commemorated the crucifixion of Jesus. The traditional color of all the banners that adorned wherever the church met was purple, deep purple, because deep purple signifies royalty and repentance and suffering and so on. So during the season of Lent, they would have lit seven candles, one for each week of that very solemn season, But no matter how solemn the season of Lent is and was, the story that unfolds through Lent also carries with it this twinge of hope and joy because it's only by the death of Christ that his resurrection is even made possible, right? So in light of this hopeful and joyful twinge, the third Sunday of Lent, the church was encouraged to put down their fasting, to take off their sackcloth and ashes and so on, and to feast and to celebrate this joyous occasion of the resurrection. And so in ancient times, on that particular Sunday, the ministers would have worn pink vestments as a reminder of the coming joy of the resurrection. So some years later in church history, when the season of Advent was born, no pun intended, of course, the church saw Advent as sort of this mini-Lenten season, kind of a mini-Lent a season for reflection, a season for repentance, thus the purple candles. And in so doing that, the church adopted these first four candles of Lent and changed that third candle of Advent to pink in honor of the Lenten tradition. And so the pink candle helps us lift our season to a season of celebration and joy. Pink is the color of joy and celebration, as you all know. And we're going to start by talking about joy today, because in my opinion, looking across the season of Christmas, joy is one of the underused gifts of Christmas time. It just is. Check out Luke chapter 2. We've been in this text a bit. We're going to hang out here a bit more today. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring, you might underline these two words, great joy to all people. I invite you to underline those. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Now there's that word great that's hooked up to the word joy in the Luke 2 text. We just read it. That word great actually comes from the Greek word which is megas, M-E-G-A-S. That's the source of our English word 
mega. And so what's in view there, I really like this, what's in view there is that this good news that we talked about a couple of weeks ago that the angels proclaimed wasn't just a little bit, just a small bit of good news, not at all. It was instead good news of great or mega joy. That's what the angels are proclaiming. Good news of mega joy. You could substitute the word great with the word, the word mega for the word great there. Instead of good news, just plain old good news, this is mega good news about mega joy. Mega joy for all people, for you, for me, for all of humanity. But doggone it, if Christmas time for so many of us is the very furthest thing from joyful, isn't it? Some of us are just slogging through this deal. And sure, we sing these songs like, joy to the world, the Lord is come, right? But we're just kind of like, joy to the world, the Lord is come, right? And then we sing songs like, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. But lots of times they're just words on a screen. And then the line, repeat the sounding joy. I don't even know what that is, but we're supposed to sing it. Repeat the sounding joy, right? Joy, tis the season to be jolly. Mm. But lots of us feel quite the opposite of jolly, don't we? Joy, real, true, lasting joy, eludes an awful lot of us this time of year. So many of us are just running around stressed out, burned out, worn out, joyed out, as a matter of fact. My son Preston, he's four years old, he made absolutely certain that the joy was completely and totally removed from one of his preschool classmates Christmas time just this past week. You know how in, uh, in preschool especially, they do this like little gift exchange deal, right, where yeah, kids draw a name out of a hat and then they're supposed to go to the store and not spend anything over $5, which if you try to do that, have fun with that one. Nothing over $5. They're supposed to wrap it up, bring it back, and give it to the person that, that, whose name they drew. And so this little sweet girl, bless her heart, she drew Preston's name out of the hat. And I'm sure there's only like three boys in the class and like a thousand girls. And so it's a great class to be a boy in. And your odds are very good of getting married, I think, in this class. And so she drew, she drew out Preston's name, and she went to the store, and she bought this little gift, and she took it home, and she and her mom wrapped it up lovingly, and then she brought it to school and handed it to Preston. My mother-in-law stood there and watched this whole thing unfold. She hands it to Preston, and he, he took the gift, and he tore into it, and it was a little deck of, of uh, cars, you know, um, a deck of cards, uh, cars, the movie, you know, like Mater and Lightning McQueen and so on. Uh, it's Cars Go Fish cards. And this little cute packet, you know, it's very sweet and precious. And here's what my son says. He holds it in his hand and he looks this girl right in the eye. She's standing there. He had just unwrapped it and says, I don't like cars and I don't like cards. <laughs> and I hear this story and I'm going like, who's raising this kid? <laughs> right, like, what, where's that coming from? Mom, maybe? <laughs> Certainly not me, right? And bless this little girl's heart. She's standing there, and I'm sure she's just going like, you are such a jerk. And, and her mom saw the whole thing unfold as well. She's standing right there, and she very sternly, like, yes. I was like, yes. She very sternly says to Preston, sometimes you just get what you get. <laughs> yes. And me and Preston, we had a little chat about this. And I said, Preston, now, um, 
I hear that you said this. And he's like, mm-hmm. And I said, and what are you gonna do about that? And he just shook his head like, I don't know, but I'm guessing you're about to tell me what I'm gonna do about that. I guess, as a matter of fact, I am. And so Preston will be writing a very nice thank you note, apologizing and seeking forgiveness and talking about how much he loves cars and how much he loves cards, whether he does or not. Doggone it. But he just stomped on this precious little girl's joy, just sucked it right out of the day. And that's what happens to so many of us. We're running around stressed out and worn out and burnt out. We're joyed out. But I want you to know there's actually some things that we can do to take action, action steps that will help restore joy, not just to Christmas time, while that's important, but also to the rest of our lives as well. And I want to give you some things, you might want to write these down, that will help us all keep this mega joy in our Christmas. The first one is this one. Uh, Start by worrying less. Write that down. Just start by worrying less. Christmas time joy is crushed and dashed and extinguished by Christmas time worry. And for so many people, lots of us included, Christmas time is wrought with all kinds of worry. What am I going to buy so and so? How am I going to pay for all this stuff? What if that person buys me a present and I didn't get them one? How am I ever going to get everything done? What's it going to be like when all of the relatives come over or when all the relatives are together? Because I remember how last year was with all those relatives, and I don't want to do that again. Will Uncle Joe act up again this year? Crazy Uncle Joe. Where in the world is everyone going to sleep? Is everyone going to arrive safely? Will I ever find a parking place? What if they don't like what I bought for them? Worry, worry, worry. And worry is one of the main reasons people lose their joy, not only during the Christmas season, but all the time. Because you see, joy and worry, they refuse to coexist. They cannot exist together. Corey Ten Boom said it this way, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. Instead, it empties today of its strength. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. Instead, it empties today of its strength. It's just true, isn't it? She nailed it. Worry just chokes and strangles. As a matter of fact, the word worry comes from a word that means to choke out or strangle. That's what it does with our joy. Worry strangles and chokes our joy. And really, worry is probably one of the most least productive things that we ever do. But there's an antidote Look at Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Look at what Paul writes. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And he means it. He's not just saying it. That's not just an empty line. Always be full of joy in the Lord. That means it's possible, see. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, here's the antidote, pray about everything. There it is. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. It is absolutely no coincidence that Paul talks about rejoicing and worry in the exact same context. If we're ever going to be able to experience always kind of joy that Paul writes of, we must overcome worry. 
And Paul says that the key to overcoming worry is giving every anxiety over to God. We were not made to carry worry in us, with us, attached to us. We were not made for it. God is. And so he says, just unload it. Just give it to me. Just deliver it to me, God says. That means, if we're going to get that done, that we must develop these habits of turning to God whenever we feel worry coming on. And for so many of us, turning to God with our worry is the very last thing we do. We just want to get over to the solution side of the problem as quickly as we can. And so we set about talking to people and doing stuff and getting busy solving the problem that is causing our worry. But so often it's the very last place we go, to God. We just try to handle it, deal with it, roll with it, whatever. God says, "Uh uh-uh. I am your first place when the worry deal is even starting to set in. I'm your first place. And that reaction needs to almost be reflexive in us, like a conditioned reflex. Now, we all know what a normal reflex is, don't we? If your hand comes in contact with a hot burner on a stove, you do not have to leave your hand on the stove and go, boy, that's starting to hurt a little bit. I better take my hand up. Uh Uh-uh, it doesn't work that way. Your hand touches the hot burner and get it off there, right? Mm, That hurts. You don't have to think about it. Our hand instantly jerks back. It just comes naturally, that reaction to pull it away. A conditioned reflex is exactly the same as a normal reflex, except it's got to be learned. It must be habituated in us. An example of a conditioned reflex would be our reaction to stomp on the brake when we encounter a suddenly red traffic light while we are driving, right? Or for some of us, we mash on the gas pedal when we encounter a yellow light while we're driving. Another conditioned reflex is when we hear the Star Spangled Banner play. We just rise to our feet. We're in a public setting. They're almost automatic reactions, but they don't result from instinct. They're learned. We had to learn them. And in the very same way, we, must need, we need to develop the reflex to turn Godward. It's an important word. To turn Godward at the very first sign of worry. Not to turn inward, not to turn to other people. At the very first sign of worry, we turn Godward. And what do we do? Look at 1 Peter 5, 7. Here's what we do. We give all your worries and cares to God. That's what we do when we turn Godward. We give all, and he means all, your worries and cares to God. Why? For he cares about you. And he cares so much that he makes himself available to us. He's not a far-removed deity. He is with us. He is in the thick of it with us. And he says, don't carry it. Don't own it. Don't take it. Give it to me. Giving our worries to God is the first step to help keeping our joy at Christmas time and every other time of the year. Keeping our joy starts with worrying less, turning to God more, and it goes on. It continues, as this is the second point, you might write this down, as we're free from thinking about all of the things that we don't have. It's a problem for us, isn't it? But keeping Christmas time and other time joy comes as we're free from thinking about all the things that we don't have. Dwelling on all that we don't have, focusing on how things used to be back in the day is a certain path to a joyless Christmas and frankly, a joyless life. Look at what Solomon writes in Proverbs 14, 30. A peaceful heart, 
A content heart is what Solomon is saying. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. It just eats you, the jealousy deal does. Lots of us say things like this, this time of year especially. I wish I had more money to buy gifts. I wish we could go away to that place like those people do, that very warm, tropical place like those people do this time of year. We look at some people's houses and we go, yeah, if I lived in a house like they live in, I'd be happy too. I wish my family, I wish my marriage, I wish my kids were more like theirs or theirs or theirs, we say. And we dwell on and we think on all that we don't have and wish we had. But that is not the Christmas time deal. That is not what Christmas is about. Christmas is not just about presents, big presents, expensive presents, lots of presents. Christmas is not just about family, like Norman Rockwell-esque portraits and Kodak-type moments. Showcase families is not the Christmas deal, like perfect marriages and perfectly groomed children with perfectly straight teeth. That is not Christmas time. Christmas time is not about ribbons and parties and fun and bows. When we make it about that stuff, is it any wonder that we lose our joy, especially this time of year? When we sink into places saying like, if I can't buy or if I don't receive the gifts that I want, well then I'm just in this dark and low, almost depressed place. Or if I don't have any family, or if I don't have a picture perfect family, or maybe I've lost a loved one between last Christmas and this Christmas, and well, that's just gonna ruin Christmas time. It will never be the same. It will never be joyful again. That is not the Christmas time deal. That's not what it's about because it's true that none of us will ever be able to give or receive everything that we want to give or receive. Our families are not ever, and I mean ever, going to be perfect. If you don't believe me, just come over to my house for five minutes. Loved ones are always going to die. They're going to reach the end of this life. But none of those things ought to affect our Christmas time or any other time joy because our joy is not determined by our circumstances. Joy, mega joy, comes from God through the gift of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That is the Christmas time deal. As we're free from thinking about all the things that we don't have, we actually can keep our joy all year long. So keeping joy starts with worrying less. It continues as we turn to God more. It goes on as we're free from thinking about all the things that we don't have. And Christmas time joy, definitely write this one down, includes making time for rest. If you want to keep your joy this time of year, we must make time for rest, period. The words of Job describe the lives of so very many of us during this time of year. Look at Job 9.25. My days are swifter than a runner. Does that sound familiar? My days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. We're just getting up in the morning and we're just slogging through the day and then we're collapsing at the end of it without any joy in sight. We're just doing the day. And we all do a lot of running this time of year, don't we? There are malls to conquer and presents to buy, traffic to battle, programs to attend, food to prepare, cards to send, trees to trim, decorations to hang, parties to go to. The number, the incredible number of overloaded life plates this time of year reaches epidemic proportion. And people see 
us included, people who are stressed out, people who are running out of balance, people who are lacking rest, well, they just tend to get a wee bit grumpy, don't they? Maybe you know a little about the grumpy deal. And rest is absolutely vital to maintaining joy at Christmas time and any other time of year. Rest is so important to God, as a matter of fact, that he used himself as an example. When God created the world, you could read about this in Genesis, the text says that when he was finished with the creation work, he rested. He rested. Now, that begs the question, was God tired? No, not at all tired. God never gets tired. So why in the world did God rest? Well, he rested because he needed to model for us this incredibly important principle of life. We human beings need, we require a scheduled time of rest. We need it. God did not need it, but he did it anyway to model it to us. And we got to do the exact same deal. We must rest I heard it said that the person who burns the candle at both ends is not nearly as bright as they think they are. It's true. But if you're going to include rest, if you're going to make time for rest during this season, you've got to actually do some things. You've got to make some conscious decisions. The first one is this one. Write this down. You need to say no to some things. Just write the word no down. No. And I'm going to invite you to practice that with me. Ready? One, two, three. Mm -hmm. A little better the next time. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Now, I'm not in any way a consultant, but that right there, little two-letter word, is like a $1,000 time and life management seminar right there, just in the word no. Now, we all remember that anti-drug motto from back in the day, just say right? You remember it. Now, an awful lot of us are addicted to speed, aren't we? Not the drug, the lifestyle. We just are. We're addicted to the adrenaline that speed produces. We're addicted to the lifestyle of going faster and faster. And we're addicted to how a faster, busier lifestyle fills us with a great sense of self-importance. My, look at how busy I am. I must be quite important. But we must learn to say no if we hope to recover the joy that Christ intends for us this time of year and the rest of the year for that matter. We're going to have to say no to some things. We might have to say no to some good things because the enemy of the great is the good. We might have to turn some very good things down because we want to be on our way to the great things, which includes real lasting joy, especially this time of year. We must make time for rest. That starts with learning to say no to some things. And then part two of getting some rest, we've got to stop the constant push for more, 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 more. If we hope to have any joy, we've got to learn to say no, and we've got to stop the constant push for more and more. Now get this. Nobody, nobody is holding a gun to our heads and saying that any of us have to give more gifts, decorate more elaborately, do more, go more, spend more, send more. Rather, we do it to ourselves don't we? And it becomes this incredibly unhealthy push for more that moves us right into a place I call crazy land. I have to give more to my mom. I have to give that person more than they gave me. 
et cetera, et cetera. And pretty soon, you're like the hamster in the cage, just spinning on the wheel, round and round and round, more and more and more. And it is not well. It is not healthy. If we hope to have any joy this time of the year, any other time of the year, we must learn to say no, and we must cease the constant and unhealthy quest for more. We gotta make time for rest, and it won't just happen. You've gotta actually go. I am going to rest in this window of time right here. Put it on your calendar, block it off. Don't let anything infringe upon your rest time. Keeping your joy starts with worrying less, turning to God more. It continues as we're free from thinking about all the things that we don't have. It continues as we make time for rest, and it goes on to this last place. You might write this down. As we refuse to forget the real reason for Christmas time. As we refuse to forget the real reason for Christmas time, joy can be ours. Look at Luke 2, 8 to 14 again. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. You might underline this next line. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Here it is. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Now, it is entirely possible for us to feel as if we've lost all the joy that should be ours this time of year. But here's the deal. The truth is this, that nothing, and I mean nothing, can separate us from the real joy of Christmas time because the joy of Christmas is grounded and anchored and inextricably bound to the love that God has for every single one of us. That is the crux of Christmas time. The love that God has for every single one of us. Look at 1 John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. There is one way to the eternal life deal and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The Christ child came and was born 2,000 years ago, 2,000-ish years ago. God's son was born, that little baby, and was laid in that manger. Why? Because God loves us. Because God loves you. And because you and me, we need a savior who could be the sacrificial offering once and for all to bring us into relationship with him. Christmas is all about God loving us so much that he gave his one and only son to be the sacrifice who would die for us. And so that means the crux of Christmas isn't about all these externals. The crux of Christmas, the source of joy at Christmas, is the person of Jesus Christ, which is inextricably linked to the love that God has for every person on planet Earth. And that empowers us. It empowers us in an amazing way. It empowers us to say with mega kind of joy that I matter to God. It's true. You and every person on planet Earth matters to God. It empowers us to say, I am loved by God. 
It empowers us to say, I matter so much to God, I am loved so much by God, that he sent his one and only son for me. And it doesn't matter what I give or what I get this Christmas, and it doesn't matter what I have or what I don't have this Christmas, especially in compare to everyone else. And it doesn't matter if my family is perfect or not, because I am loved by God and I matter to him. That's Christmas time. That's the crux. Look at Romans 8, 35 and following. Paul asked this question in the book of Romans. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? He answers his own question, no. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Keeping our joy this time of year and the rest of the year starts with worrying less and turning to God more. It continues as we're completely freed up from thinking about all the things and all the stuff that we don't have. It continues as we make time for rest and joy is ours. It is ours as we refuse to forget the real reason for Christmas time and it's that God loves you immeasurably, immeasurably. Take your stuff and set it aside, if you would. And I just invite you to go to prayer. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and speak to the Lord. Listen in to him. Just tell God what you're thinking about. You can do that now. And I'm gonna ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you would, for the next few moments. There's a lot of us in this room, and that means that we all come from different places, and I don't know exactly where you're coming from today, but maybe as you're here, you've got some business to do with God today. I just invite you to press in to that business. Maybe you've got business to do with God around keeping your joy by worrying less. Maybe you have a worry challenge. God invites you just to deposit your worry at his feet. It's not yours to carry. Deposit it at his feet. Maybe you've got some business to do with God around being freed up from thinking about all the stuff that you don't have. Just to put that down. Maybe you've got some business to do with God around making time for rest, carving that time out, being very intentional and purposeful in it. Maybe you've got business to do with God around refusing to forget the real reason for Christmas time, the truth that God loves you. Just do whatever business you need to do with God around that stuff, listen in to him, Listen for his promptings, his nudgings, his voice. And then I encourage you to cement some commitments with him in this time. Decide that things are going to be different. And maybe you're here today, 
and the truth that Christmas is all about how much God loves you, maybe that hit home with you for the very first time ever. And you've come to understand today how much God loves you, how much he gave for you, how he came that first Christmas for you to be the sacrifice that you and every person on planet Earth need to bring you into a relationship with God. If that's you, you can move into a relationship with him today by acknowledging his gift, by acknowledging the truth that he died on the cross to be your savior, to be the rescuer of your soul. And if you're choosing to do that today, I just invite you to express that to God by praying along with me. You can pray a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to make a way for me to have a relationship with you. God, I know that I've sinned in ways that I shouldn't have, but today, God, I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that my sin has separated me from you. I believe with everything in me that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and I ask you to please forgive me. Please send Jesus to live inside of me because God, I want you to be my friend and I want you to change me and God, I need you to just clean my life up, please. And that decision to give your life to Jesus Christ to make him your savior is the biggest decision of your whole life. Nothing matters more, nothing carries more weight. And it's such a big deal that around here we invite people to let us know when they made that decision. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me right now. I want you to know that nobody's looking around this room but me. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I just want to acknowledge that decision. If you prayed with me just then, would you be so bold as to slip your hand up and make eye contact with me? Way to go. Way to go. And you over there, way to go. And you back there right now, all of you. And you too back there. God's changing you and you too right there. He's making you brand new. The gift of Christmas time is yours today. Would there be anyone else? I don't want to miss anybody. Too big a deal. God, we sure love you and we're so incredibly grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus that gives us mega joy. We don't just have to manufacture it, but it comes from you, God. It doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from your character, from the depth of your being, God. I pray that we would walk in that mega joy, not just in these days leading up to Christmas, but that we would walk in mega joy the rest of the year, all of our lives, as Paul invites us to. And God, it's hard and it's challenging and it's difficult, but will you help us be people who worry less and turn to you more? And will you help us be people who refuse to think about the stuff that we don't have? And God, will you help us be people who rest, who say no, who stop the frantic quest for more, who get off of the treadmill, God? And help us be people who never forget the crux of Christmas time, your incredible undying love for humanity, for us. We receive the gift of your joy, God, and we carry it. And help us be distributors of your joy, God. Help us love on people the way you love on people as we reflect you to the world around us. 
We're all yours, God, and we worship you and we adore you. We thank you. And the church said, Amen.